From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. If you have a Hulu subscription, or the DVDs of Seinfeld, aka the best sitcom ever, pull up episode 16 of the 8th season. It's called The Pothole. A few minutes into the episode, Elaine, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, is waiting for Chinese food delivery on the sidewalk. The delivery man approaches. A hilarious interaction ensues that I don't want to spoil for you. The actor playing the delivery man is named Radmar Howe, who was an up-and-coming actor back then in 1997 and would go on to appear in shows like ER and General Hospital and the Steven Spielberg movie Minority Report. But Radmar left that career path about 20 years ago for something just a little bit different. Actor Radmar Howe is now Father Radmar Howe, a Jesuit priest and the director of vocations for the USA West Province. Radmar and I talked about his early acting career and what it was like to be on Seinfeld, his entrance into the Jesuits, how he uses his acting talents in his ministry, and so much more. There's no better way to get ready for the Golden Globe Awards this Sunday and the start of our delayed awards season than this incredibly fun conversation. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts. And thanks for joining us. Father Radmar Howe, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate being here. No, so I was saying to you right before we started recording that this episode is going to come out right before the biggest award show of the year, the Golden Globes. I'm kidding. Everyone makes fun of the Golden Globes. Uh, but I think Tina Fey and Amy Poehler are hosting, though. They're, they're always fun. Anyway, so I thought, hey, we, we got the award season traditionally coming up. People may be watching a lot of stuff on TV, just like they've been doing for the past year. Let's bring on one of our Jesuits who has like great acting experience, great stories. <laughs> so. Wow. Um, you also have other things to contribute, I'm sure, but that is the hook for our episode today. I was wondering, I was wondering if that would be the, the reason why I was invited to this. this no, it's not just show. Beca- not just because who you were before, but uh-huh. really, who, we want to, we were interested in who you are, uh, wow. absolutely, wow. and your ministry. So, but we will get into yeah. some of those stories. Um, but first, maybe you just start off by telling uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and who you are. Sure, um, Radmar Howe. I'm a member of the West Coast Jesuits. And um, yeah, I've been ordained a priest now for about 10 years. Um, I entered the Jesuits in 2001. And prior to entering, I was an actor in Hollywood. So I did that throughout the 90s, it's so long ago. Uh, I can't believe it's been that long ago, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I've been at this Jesuit thing now for about 20 years and um, have, have loved all of it, really. Yeah, I mean, there are ups and downs, but for the most part, um, it's been a it's been a wonderful wonderful life, um, and I'm currently the uh, director of vocations for the Jesuits in the West Coast. Okay, great. So we'll get into some of that. What that means, director yeah. of vocations. It sounds like a a big job. I do want to just maybe start. Let's turn the clock back even before the '90s. Uh, where are you from? Um, sure. How did you get How did you get into acting? And uh, yeah, let's start from there. Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from Indiana. Actually, I born I was born and raised in Indiana, Gary, Indiana, to be specific. Um, and I come from a large, you know, Catholic, Catholic Filipino family, um, uh, born and raised Catholic and, you know, did the whole, 
church thing on Sundays and um, was the, you know, a good kid, a good kid. I was not a troublemaker or anything like that. I leave that up to my, the rest of my siblings. There are, <laughs> there are nine of us all together, actually. I'm the, oh, oldest, wow. I'm the oldest son uh, of nine. I have an older sister, and there are six boys and three girls. And um, Catholic uh, grade school, Catholic high school. But then I went to Indiana University uh, in Bloomington and uh, majored in uh, communications and minored in theater. And it was there that really this desire for performing arts kind of blossomed. My mom was actually an actress. Uh, my mom and grandmother were actresses in the Philippines. Um, uh, fun fact, my mom was known as the Shirley Temple of the Philippines. For those the Shirley who, Temple of the Philippines. Yeah, she was a child actress, you know, and uh, she was big names. I mean, to this day, there's some people, <laughs> those who are still alive, who would know her. Uh, when they hear her name, they just like fawn over her. It's like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's kind of interesting being from a, a family of actors, um, kind of, that's, I, th I think that's where I got the, the bug was from her, sure. from that, her so, side of the family. So she had, had made films in the Philippines, but ended up moving to Indiana where you were born. How did that happen? Yeah. So um, when she was a teenager, her, her, her parents kind of pulled her out of that world. And uh, at the time, my grandfather, who's also a physician, uh, was the resident physician of all places, the steel mills in Gary. Uh, wow. he, he got a job there as a, the resident physician, called my family, my mom and grandmother back from the Philippines so that he wanted them to be together. And they were living in Indiana. And my father at the time was, in, uh, was doing his residency at the University of Illinois. And they had met at a function of uh, medical people uh, from the Philippines. And so they had met at this dinner ball, so to speak, and uh, fell in love. And the rest is history, as they say. So when, when you're growing up with uh, your mom with that kind of those childhood memories, would you hear stories? Was this something that was kind of part of your family? Would you put on plays oh, yeah. as kids? Like, Well, <laughs> no, I wish we did. Uh, we, we, we did perform as kids. We were, uh, all nine of us, we sort of got into music and singing. And so we kind of dubbed ourselves the Von Howe family singers as opposed to the Von Trapps. Because <laughs> sure. our repertoire for decades was the sound of music that's sure like wherever we went oh sing the song from sound of music do this do that to right. this, the last time we actually performed was at my dad's funeral mm. uh everybody's like oh you all need to just perform you know one last time for your dad and so we we pulled it out and kind of did the did the sound of music thing again and uh it was embarrassing but you know <laughs> sure well we again this we're just talking right after the the death of christopher Plummer, who of course was, was known oh yeah for that. oh my gosh look at Look, all these things are converging. All the connections. Today. Yeah, yes. I know. Who said that that show kind of chased, felt, followed him around to a, the point where he wasn't, he thought it was kind of a, a little bit too syrupy for him, uh, yeah. at least some of the obituaries I was reading. So you had the, yeah. these siblings who were getting into performing, you had this performance mom. So you're, you're in college, you're doing some theater in school. So is that you're kind of your first yeah. big big acting uh, okay. role? Fun fact again. So my very first like acting gig was as a kid. Yeah. I went to Montessori school. So I lived in the Philippines for the first couple of years of my life. And so I was going okay. to Montessori. And uh, one of my earliest memories actually was as a kid at Montessori, this Montessori school. And I got the lead role as Raggedy Andy. And yeah. uh, so that technically was my first real, like, first gig. Uh, but it wasn't until high school that I really got the acting bug. I did some musical theater stuff in high school and then pursued it again in college. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I really wanted to go into the performing arts more, but I knew that my dad was not, would not 
fall for it. And uh, I thought the next best thing would be communications. And I, sure. I, I, I sold it by telling him I'd be the next Steven Spielberg. And he, he bought it. So, <laughs> so what, what's the pathway then from uh, Bloomington, Indiana, from school yeah. out, to, uh, out to Hollywood? Um, I had... <laughs> The excuse, I've always wanted to live in, L- in LA, to be honest with you, because of the entertainment industry. And um, I found an excuse, uh, a way that my dad would probably buy it. I said I was going to take a, a film class at USC. And so I found this sort of film class on a, in a, a, a magazine, <laughs> like the back ads of a magazine. I think it was called Entertainment Weekly. I don't even know if that's still out. I think but, so. Um, are they still around? Okay. Maybe online? I don't know. I used to, I got yeah. it when I was like in, in middle school. I remember we got it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So anyway. I, yeah. So there was an ad. I answered the ad F for this class. So I went out to LA and um, took this class. It, it was like a month long class or summer. It was a summer thing. And uh, I stayed. <laughs> it was my excuse for, for coming out here. And, um, but soon after, I got a job with Warner Brothers. And uh, as, a, as a production assistant for a show called China Beach. And um, on that show, they were auditioning for a young Vietnamese kid. And the casting director, who I'd come to know, um, asked me, hey, do you ever act? I'm like, well, funny you should say. I was a theater minor. Well, why don't you audition for this? I auditioned, got it down to the last two. I got called back several times. It was down between me and an actual Vietnamese actor. They had to give it to him because he was a, a union actor. But they told me, they said, you should really pursue this. You're really good. And so I um, took them at, I, I took them at, uh, I took their suggestion and started taking acting classes and got involved with a theater company out here in Los Angeles called East West Players, which was or which is the nation's first and foremost Asian American theater company. They started like in the mid 60s and they're mm-hmm. still going. And uh, so I got involved with them. And from there, things started to snowball. And, um, and that was the early 90s, uh, soon after I got here, actually, because I moved out to Los Angeles like in 89, 1989, and um, uh, got involved with them. And through my experience with them, was able to um, find an agent and later on a manager and sort of audition for a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah, I'm looking through your IMDb page, which we can link to in the show notes so people can see your <laughs> entire career, right. at least yeah. your career on screen. They have a, you know, yes. this is your, t- your TV and movies. Uh, so you're in things like ER and Minority yes. Report. So Steven right. Spielberg, right? Minority yes, Report. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, that's part of my vocation story. I'm, 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 I'll, remind me, I'll, I'll bring that up. Oh, if, if yeah. OK, we got to get into that. So I see a bunch. Seinfeld. I want to ask you a lot about Seinfeld since I love yeah. Seinfeld. But but yeah. I guess there, what are from that that list are some that you're some of your favorite memories uh, being involved well, with. Well, to be honest with you, since you mentioned Seinfeld, actually Seinfeld was one of my favorite ones, um, favorite experiences, because, um, well, first of all, it was Seinfeld. It was at the height of their success, right? I think it was like a 19, either 97 or 98. I forget which year I actually it's did. It was 1997, the 150th <laughs> episode. I watched it this morning to prepare. This was the best, wow. work, the best work morning I've ever had when I could say, like, I'm going to pull up wow. Hulu and watch this episode of Seinfeld on work time for preparation for this interview. Wow. See? So if they, they caught me, I said, no, no, this is, I'm not, I'm not goofing off. This is work prep. Um, yeah. That's awesome, so, man. The episode is the pothole. So, okay, the pothole. T- how does yeah. that? How do you? How do you get to Seinfeld again? As you're saying, like they are the the most popular thing going at the they time. They were the most popular. Thing. Yeah, and so you know, I I, I got a call uh, from my agent saying, hey, um, there's this role. It's a small role, a uh, Chinese food delivery guy for a, a show called Seinfeld. I'm like, yes, of course, I'll do it. What the heck? And it was at the time where you know uh, my career was kind of building up, and uh, like I said, late '90s, '97. 
as you rightly pointed out. And shoot, Seinfeld, right? So so I I auditioned for it, even though the role asked for they wanted somebody with a strong Asian accent, like a strong Chinese accent. I was like, ugh. By that time, you know, I, I kind of was I identity politics was like a big part of who I was at that time, learning from the Asian American Theater Company and sort of the discrimination in Hollywood, all that stuff. And so um, I said, sure, it's Seinfeld, what the heck? So I auditioned for it with the strong accent and then I got it, thankfully, great. I get on set though and Jerry, we're, we're good buds now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, he was a producer at the time, of course. Um, and it was Jerry and Andy Ackerman, who, fun fact, he was um, a graduate of Loyola High School here in Los Angeles. So he has some Jesuit connections. Who knew? He I mean, won an he won an he won an Emmy for this episode. There's a little uh, asterisk there. Did he really? I thought I didn't know. Andy Ackerman won an, an Emmy for that episode. He did. Okay. For the pothole. For the pothole. Wow. Okay. Okay. All right. That's just an there asterisk aside. Okay. There you go. Okay. Um, and so I, I, I auditioned for it. I get on set and I say, hey, Jerry, you know, this is New York. There's a bunch of people, Chinese Americans who don't speak with accents. Do you really need the accent? He and Andy were like, eh, no, you don't. Don't need it. <laughs> so I, I felt, first of all, because it was Seinfeld and also because I was able to speak up and say, hey, can this character not have an accent? Um, just to, you know, stop perpetuating the stereotype that all Asian people speak with accents. <laughs> um, so so that's that's one of the reasons, or two of the reasons why it was my favorite gig. Sure. And plus, it's got the longest legs because to this day, like now, people are asking me about Soundfield when they find out. So. Oh, I, I bet. So I want to, if we can dig into the episode a little bit. You have yeah. essentially, I think, two scenes. Um, mm -hmm. The first one, the longer one, with... Um, uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus's character yeah. uh, Elaine, yeah. in which she, you are playing this delivery person from a Chinese restaurant. She wants right. this special flounder, but she lives one block or half a block outside the delivery radius. Yep. So she she goes outside to meet you when she orders it, giving a different address that's within the radius. Uh, yes. And then the two of you have just I think a really funny. You play it straight and are so funny, but uh, the two yeah. of you have this interaction when you you seem suspicious that she doesn't quite live there. Which of course right. I love about Seinfeld is that like it seems like it's the real world, but it's such this fantasy world right imagine a delivery person caring about whether or not someone lives on a block or not that's right um, so yeah anyway bring us into that like the, the shooting of that and the scene and working with uh, someone like julia louis dreyfus first of all she's fantastic and the whole crew was fantastic too i mean you would think by that time I'd, i've worked with several um uh film crews right and 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 actors as well and for them to be at the, at the level that they were, at the height of their career and the, of their success, they're the, they couldn't be any nicer. And um, no attitudes, nothing. And so Julia, Julia, again, you know, my buddy, Julia. Julia. <laughs> Julia, yeah. Most people call her Julie Louise, but I call her Julia. Uh, no, she, was, she couldn't have been sweeter, you know? And, um, and in between takes, we just had, you know, just sh shot the breeze and just kind of talked about life and whatnot. And, um, um, yeah, so I get on set, and once I get there, I'm like dying because it's I'm on the set of Seinfeld, which is you know New York set in the middle of Los Angeles, and so you know it's funny people are always like, did you did they fly to New York? I'm like, no, it's shot in Los Angeles. I mean, you know, this it's called a movie set, um, but they did such a wonderful job with setting up the street scene and everything like that. But um, yeah, I was on I was on set for maybe four hours. Um, 
the scene, as you know, lasted a couple of seconds, really. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was fantastic. It was just a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And what's interesting, a couple of years later, maybe a year or two later, um, I was doing another uh, TV show on the same lot where they shot Seinfeld, and I was um, a, a series regular on the show. And I was walking from my car to this to the set, and who should I come biking down? Um, but Jerry Seinfeld, right? Just on the studio lot. And I just kind of stopped, I was walking, I said, oh, hey, Jerry. And he's like, oh, hey, how you doing? I don't think he remembered my name, but in my mind, he still kind of like, kind of remembered me. Sure. Uh, so I happened to be walking with my brother at the time, who I was, I got on as, a, as an extra on this show that I was doing. And when Jerry Seinfeld waved at me and I said, hey, Jerry, he said, hey, how you doing? My brother's like, you're such a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, well, you know. That's too funny. Yeah. So I do want to, I just, if you remember anything about that, that time. So again, you have to like, you're very suspicious of Elaine's character. You can oh, tell yeah. that she doesn't seem like she, what, did, what was the instruction they gave you? Like to be, so you're very suspicious and then you are like kind of very dismissive and then you walk away, you know, you take and the I food back. I take the food back. back. I take, take the, the food, food back. back. Won't yeah. let her have it. Even though she's going to pay you and tip you, you won't let her take it oh, through, no. <laughs> for these very strict rules that this restaurant has. Right. I mean, exactly right. It's because of those rules, right? I mean, the, the, the scene is set up in such a way where the, uh, the, the, the Chinese restaurant owner was like, no, 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 we don't deliver to that. You're, it's not within the delivery zone. And so she figures out a way around that, right? And so the setup is we only deliver to a certain area. She lived across the street, I believe it was, or a block right. and a half or whatever. Right. Oh, and yeah. so, um, but the rules are the rules. And so, you know, you, you, you go, you deliver, you don't live there. Sorry, I got to take the food back. But because at Seinfeld, the direction was, you're not a nice guy. You're just, right. you know, you're doing a job and right. she doesn't live there. She's breaking the rules. Nope. Take it back. So, yeah. It does seem like for Seinfeld and Larry David who created that show, like both of those shows, Curb Your Enthusiasm, yeah. that like they have these rules about the universe that are like, like these extreme yeah. moralists, which again, if you get into the Catholic work, you see there are some who approach Catholicism as a very strict black and white set of rules, yes. which is very much yes. the worldview of uh, the Larry David Seinfeld show, which I thought again was, was so funny. So I'd love to talk about Seinfeld all day. We could go into this episode ad nauseum. I'm a big fan of those actors, but I want to ask you about kind of moving from that life to your current life. So you were, again, uh, getting regular work in, in Hollywood on a bunch of different shows and movies. How how did you move from that life to uh, Jesuit vocation? Can you tell me that yeah. story? Yeah, I wish, again, like, I, I wish it were a lot more dramatic and a lot, like, lot sexier, um, but it's pretty sedate, I'd say. It was just one of these things that kind of just slowly crept up on me as God does, um, I was, like you said, things were kind of looking up for me with, in terms of my career. I had just done a film um, called The Phantom, which was this big comic book film. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, Seinfeld came about and I was getting some other jobs, regular jobs. But um, around the mid to late 90s, things started kind of churning, changing for me. And um, I would play bargaining games with God saying, okay, Lord, I don't know what's going on inside of me, but if you really, but this priesthood thing seems to be popping up again. Uh, like I said earlier, I was a cradle Catholic, and so, yeah. Uh, but it just came out of nowhere. I felt, and um, um, it felt like every Sunday was Vocation Sunday, you know, mm. where the priest was talking about this, or talking about something. But I felt like he was talking to, directly at me, and it was touching my heart. And 
that silly song, Here I Am, Lord, kept resonating, and uh, I would tear up every time I, I heard that, 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 that song. Um, to the point where I'm like, all right, Lord, if this is really you, help me pay my rent, help me uh, get, get, get this audition, let me you know, uh, uh, you know, fulfill these desires and wishes that I have. Well, I would get these things and I, I would just chalk it up to coincidence. To the point where it just kept on happening. And uh, at one point I just thought, okay, let me change my tactic. I said, Lord, if you really, really want me to become a priest, then take away these things, right? So I tested the, the waters, which as we all know, one shouldn't do um, with God is test. And so sure enough, my career started to tank right after Seinfeld actually. And, and a series that I was on um, that I mentioned earlier uh, kind of flopped. And uh, I thought that was it. That was at the height of my career. I was gonna be on this television series as a series regular and it flopped in mid season. And um, I'm like, oh gosh, something else, something's going on here to the point where I uh, talked to a friend of mine, we were doing a play at that time up in Sacramento, and I said, he kind of knew my journey, and I said, you know, I'm thinking of giving all this up and becoming a priest. And he's like, oh, dude, don't do it, don't do it. But if you really, really have to, check out the Jesuits. You can be a priest and an actor at the same time. Mm. And I'm, at that, I'm, up until that point, I just thought, I just knew of uh, diocesan priesthood, and I'm mm. like, what? So I checked it out, uh, went to a come and see, at the novitiate in Culver City and asked these questions about being a priest and an actor. And they said, yeah, that's possible, but you know, don't get ahead of yourself. Just kind of like, see if God is calling you to this sort of thing. And um, eventually, you know, applied. Um, and the, the kicker was, and this is where the minority port comes in, one of the um, uh, bargaining chips I gave God was, okay, Lord, if you really, really want me to become a priest, then let me work with Steven Spielberg, right? I said, might as well be specific. Well, I get I get accepted, and then uh, I get accepted in May of 2001. Two weeks later, I get a call from my, my uh, manager saying, hey, there's this job that just came up. Um, do you wanna do it? You're not, you don't have to audition. They're giving it to you if you want it. It's for a movie called Minority Report, directed by Steven Spielberg. Do you wanna do it? I'm like, yes, whatever it takes. I don't care what they're paying. I wanna do it. And by that time, I already said yes. And so when I, yes to the Jesuits. And so when I hung up the phone, I just kind of looked up and I said, all right, Lord, you got me. This is, <laughs> this is it, you know? And uh, so, yeah, so that's, again, the, the, the kicker and the, the confirmation of my discernment to enter the Society of Jesus. I credit to Steven Spielberg. So you, you come into the Jesuits then not with like a huge amount of Jesuit background, as you just said, not like Jesuit no. school growing up. Yeah. So what, what did, do you remember from those early days? Do things surprise you? Did you get to know about St. Ignatius and got excited? Like what? So what were those early days like for you coming to know yeah. the society as you were discerning? Right. I mean, exactly. I didn't know much, if anything at all, about the Society of Jesus other than what my friend told me from what he learned uh, in, in high school. Right. Um, but one thing that that really clicked with me is Ignatian spirituality. Because of my acting background, and because of especially Ignatian contemplation, this idea of praying with your imagination and entering into the scene, and imagining yourself as a character in the scripture passage, speaking with Jesus, speaking with other people, and Jesus speaking to you, all that kind of stuff, is sort of the work that I had done prior. So it was a natural fit, and for me, that was like, oh, I could do this, this is not a problem at all. So really learning about, the hardest part was learning not about St. Ignatius, 
because I mean, his life just was very attractive to me. And um, uh, but what was the hardest part was learning about the vows, how to live the vows, and even community life was not an issue because I come from a large family, and you know, uh, it's basically community life. You get along with some, you don't, and you learn how to live together. You know, uh, so that part wasn't hard. Um, but it was the it was the vows, and um, uh, especially well, not even obedience. It was more. It was more the poverty and the chastity piece, you know, was the was the biggest challenge um, of an, an adjustment. Um, so yeah, the early days was in terms of the novitiate time was great. I had a great time, had a good class. Um, it was then after taking vows that things started to get real, you know, because they say the novitiate is not. I mean, it, 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 I'll, I'll qualify this, but like the novitiate is not the society of Jesus. They say. Which is true because you're sort of living in a bubble, and once you leave that bubble, then the reality of the the real Jesuit world, uh, uh, you kind of learn, uh, you, you take what you learned in the novitiate, and make it your own and live it out in first studies during regency and in theology and then beyond. Um, I mean, to the point where I'm still kind of learning, I'm still being formed, um, um, you know, to be a Jesuit. So. You talked about uh, vows being a challenge, poverty and chastity specifically, yeah. which are not big Hollywood words, right? Like those aren't uh, <laughs> themes that you're seeing a lot of the time. We, like when you were telling your friends like, hey, I'm doing this thing and it's it's like yeah. not just like a like two week retreat or something like this is a life change here. I feel called to this. What, like what, what kind of reactions did you get? Well, surprised? it's funny because well, they were surprised, but at the same time, they didn't know what to do with it. So it would be like, yeah, I'm thinking about leaving all this behind, this acting thing. Because they saw me as like an up-and-coming actor, right? And and I kind of was, but I was giving it all up. They're like, oh, wow. Well, that's cool, but wow, really? You know, they couldn't quite comprehend that somebody with my success as a, as a person of color, as an Asian American actor at the time, who was having relative success, yeah, there may have been a dip, but most people would just stick it out, you know? And I, I was leaving it all behind. Um, it's funny, you know, I was... Uh, I was contemporaries with, I don't know, if, do you know who John Cho is? Uh, He's a... Yes. From Harold and Kumar. Right. And, right? So right. we were contemporaries, and we both kind of left left around the same time. He was wanting to, to lead his... He had a band at the time. He was fronting a band. He was going to pursue that, and um, he kind of understood. He comes from, a, I think his dad was a pastor, a, a Protestant pastor. So he understood that I was leaving to go into ministry. And so I enter, and then I was in philosophy in Chicago, and I remember going to the movies, and I see his poster for Carolyn Kumar, and I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He didn't leave. And I got so jealous sure. to see him. And then now seeing, you know, especially now seeing how Asian Americans and even people of color are starting to be recognized more. And yeah, there's a part of me that feels like uh, I'm missing out. But at the same time, I know that God has called me to this. And so, you know, and I, I find ways of using my gifts as an actor and performer uh, in my in this world as, as a priest uh, um, uh, now, especially. So um, I think it, it, it's all worked out for the better, actually. Yeah, and that brings up an interesting dynamic about your story to me, which is that as a Jesuit, like you, yes, you're leaving something behind this whole this life this career this kind of single but you're also like getting to use some of those gifts in a different yeah. way i'm just yeah. curious how you reflect on that that what what did you have to like so you mentioned what you kind of have to leave left leave behind and then you talked about maybe imaginative prayer what other ways yeah. have you been able to kind of continuing to use those gifts uh, in your current vocation 
Sure. Um, uh, this is going to sound too philosophical or too theological. I don't know. But um, one of the things that this hit me soon after I got ordained, actually, um, you know, I was I was I was doing some supply work at a, at a parish and I started reflecting on my work as a, a priest celebrating mass that, you know, historically uh, church and religion, especially the Catholic faith, was centered around the arts, really. They use the arts as a, as a teaching tool, right? And um, so I, I, as I was reflecting on my work as a priest and what I was doing as a priest, I realized that though I'm not acting, it is performative in the sense that I am taking, the, I'm taking words, black ink on white paper, and bringing it to life. That's what an actor does, right? As a priest, what am I doing? Very similarly, taking the gospel, the word, capital W, and incarnating it in such a way that me in persona Christi and bringing out Jesus' words and the audience, the congregation, is hearing these words and it's my, my um, responsibility and obligation to proclaim these words in such a way that the audience, the congregation, is, can take these words in and um, be changed by them, right? So it's very much, I, I see it very, I see very, uh, very close parallels to what I used to do as an actor. Again, the difference being, I'm not acting as a priest or acting as Christ. No, mm-hmm. I am calling forth, you know, uh, or, or being in the person of Jesus, in the person of Christ as a priest, and in my role as a presider in Mass, hopefully um, doing it in such a way that people are being drawn into the Paschal mystery and being transformed by it, right? What the, the thing that I, you know, my pet peeve is priests who just kind of, you know, yammer up there and just say the, the words, and kind of mumbling them um, to the point where you just kind of fall asleep or you just, you get there and you just lose attention. They lose your attention, right? Now, I'm not saying that I, you know, stand up there and proclaim the Lord be with you, like, you know, uh, <laughs> Patrick Stewart, but... Um, it, no, it's more of like the way that I pray through the, um, uh, the, the sacramentary, the Roman, the, the Ordo, the uh, Roman Missal, um, has to be in such a way that I believe what I'm saying so that you as a congregation are drawn into that mystery. I, I hope that made sense. Um, yeah, certainly. In terms of how I, I, I just, use my... Yeah, no, I just love, again, that sense that like God could use what you bring, right? Like you bring these things and you like say, like yeah. even like the, the Sushipe like prayer of Ignatius, like take, take and Lord receive everything I have, I give yes. to you. And then like, yes. how can I use it? And the fact that you're able to use those, those gifts to, to not say like, oh no, 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 you need to like abandon all of those interests and all of those gifts behind. Right. And now you are, a, you are religious. Like, no, no, it's just God is using those and you're able to put those into to practice to, to serve others. That's exactly right, and and it's I mean my my job now as a as a vocation director is that is is helping guys recognize the gifts that they already have and that God is calling forth in them to use for His greater glory, right? And and that was for me the same thing. I I thought in the novitiate I had to give up all this acting thing. It wasn't until I got to first studies in Chicago that I I met somebody uh, I can't remember her name now who was giving a talk. She was a writer in Hollywood, and she says we need. We need you guys, we need priests, we need uh, sisters, we need women and men, people of faith in Hollywood. Because Hollywood is a mission field, she said. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. Yes, it is a mission field. And so, you know, I kept that in my mind all throughout formation and trying to find ways of um, getting back into the, the entertainment business, entertainment world as a priest. And, and thanks be to God, I was able to, um, like soon after I, I, I was ordained, for like two years, I was uh, missioned, my mission was to go back to Hollywood and act. My provincial mm. gave me the opportunity to try it out. And I can't tell you, there's some wonderful stories of I was just starting to break back into it and the conversations I would have with people were conversations that I wouldn't normally have if I wasn't a priest. You know, when people found out that I was a, a Catholic priest, you know, it was a great conversation starter. And I would like to think that was a, a great evangelization tool as well. Sure. So, yeah, could you share like any of those memories? Or So you are yeah. a priest, you're on the set and you're just talking to people and they're yeah. asking about you. So, yeah, like, so how did that work as a, as a priest? <laughs> Best story. I love this story. Um, uh, it was my, my first professional gig after coming back into it, right? It was for CSI Las Vegas. It was a TV show. And I, play, I played a dead Asian Elvis impersonator. All right. <laughs> uh, and the only reason I said yes to, or wanted to do this was because I had to be in prosthetics. They, had to, they, they wanted a bald Asian Elvis impersonator so that they can put prosthetics on my head. Um, so that, because uh, the character was like bashed in the head with a tire iron. So they had the latest things. Great. So in between scenes, it was shot here in Los Angeles. It, 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 the um, city of Los Angeles doubled for Las Vegas. And um, uh, I was sitting there in between scenes with the hair and makeup person. So I had the Elvis wig. She was holding my Elvis wig and we were just sort of sitting there talking in between shots. And she's like, so Radmar, what do, you, what do you do when you're not acting? And I'm like, oh God, here we go. <laughs> I, I told myself, I'm not gonna bring it up. I'm just gonna stand the down low. And I'm like, well, here we go. I said, well, I'm actually a, a Catholic, I'm a Jesuit priest. And she's like, oh! she kind of looks around left and right. And she whispers, I'm Catholic too. And I'm like, why are we whispering? And she's like, she's like, well, there's a lot of Jews on this set and I don't want to offend anybody. Okay. I'm like, I think we're going to be fine. And so we got to talking about Pope Francis who had, who had just been elected, I think a year prior. Uh, talking about her faith, how she'd fallen away from the faith, how she wants her daughter back in the faith. And then I said, I invited her to Mass the next day. This was a Saturday night. I invited her to Mass. I said, hey, come to our, our, our Jesuit parish, Blessed Sacrament in Hollywood. I said, I'm, I'm celebrating Mass there. You should come. She's like, oh, no, I can't. It's been years. I, if I step into a church, I, I, you know, a lightning bolt would strike me dead. I'm like, I can guarantee you that's not going to happen. You should come. And she's like, I'll see, I'll see. I never saw her again, but I'd like to think that that moment was a, a great opening for her to see that, you know, salvation is, is offered to her as well, that she's not a lost cause, and that there are people out there who are representing the church in, in a way that, you know, that is not in a negative light, as the church, you know, since 2002 has been painted into, you know. As well as other, I had other uh, great conversations with actors uh, in, a, in a play that I did, um, that invited me to pray for them on opening night and every night after until closing mm. night, you know, um, which was, you know, I, I did not expect them to mm. invite me to do that. So Sure. 
Your yeah. your job now in some ways is similar in that having conversations about big things uh, right. with people and in, inviting people the way you invited that uh, that set worker uh, on CSI. So just maybe yeah. talk a little bit about your those conversations you're having now. So you're as a vocation director yeah. and you've also worked as a served as a vocation promoter before. All kind of this mm-hmm. work of extending those invitations and inviting men to think about um, maybe joining the society if God's calling yeah. them to that. So yeah, what does that work like now for you? Well, I. <laughs> Um, it's, it's complicated, uh, by COVID, of course, um, by this pandemic, uh, normally it would be, you know, it would be meeting with guys one-on-one and face-to-face conversations. Um, but you know, doing this on zoom and, and, and online has has been fine too. And and I love the work. I really do because I, I, I find my role as a vocation director, um, especially when I talk to guys who are considering moving towards application, um, like they're serious about this, right? I, I, I really enjoy helping them find freedom in all of this, right? I use my, my knowledge and, 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 and um, experience of Ignatian spirituality and the, and the spiritual exercises to kind of help create a space for them to feel free enough to say yes or no, right? Uh, to make sure that they're discerning well, and that um, they are, uh, uh, ent- uh, that they're entering for the right reasons. Right. The hardest part about this is that they, um, unfortunately, part of the discernment is inviting them to meet Jesuits, and right now we just can't do that, unfortunately. And so um, I'm hoping, God willing, next year will be a lot better. But um, but you know, still there's still guys who are interested, uh, and they're they're. They're they're in the application, and by the grace of God, hopefully, God willing, they'll be they'll be accepted um, in the next couple of months. So, um, but yeah, so the work right now I enjoy because it is, like I said, this opportunity for me to represent the Society of Jesus in such a way that it shows these men who we are as a, a community of prayerful men, joyful men who are serving the Lord uh, in in a way that um, uh, uh, sort of. Um, makes it that, that that hopefully we make a difference in the world whether through education through our social ministries through through um uh social justice work all that stuff the, all the various the, the variety of work that we do um representing this to these young men uh, and, and say hey this could be you too is this something that attracts you is this something that you see yourself doing too so I, and i enjoy that i enjoy accompanying men through that that process I'm sure you get young guys coming out, you know, from college who kind of know, like, this is, I've been thinking about this for a long time, discerning this, this is for me, kind of straight in. But others who might, kind of like yourself, maybe had other careers, had done all kinds of things, pursued other paths, and then kind of found their way. Do you ever, like, ending talking to those guys, kind of use your own story as an example to say, like, oh, no, like, this this is, there's no, like, one vocation story that you can kind of come from any direction. All the time. Uh, Especially since I entered... (laughs) I was a mature vocation. I entered at, at 34, right, which is pretty old, uh, <laughs> relatively speaking. And so, you know, I, I and, and for some reason, I'm finding at least since I took on this role uh, this past summer, there's a lot of older older men who are uh, interested in becoming Jesuits. And I'm not quite sure where, where that dynamic is coming from. I'm not sure if it's because of COVID or what, but um, yeah. Uh, so yes, I'm able to share my story and especially share the story of, you know, having this career and then switching and doing something totally different, giving up a whole bunch of things, you know, f- 
fame and, and fortune, so to speak, for poverty and chastity and obedience, you know, these vows. Um, and so I think I'm positioned or uh, been graced with this opportunity to be able to talk with guys, especially if, as they come in much later in life, and be more empathetic with them and, and, and help kind of <laughs> talk them off the ledge, so to speak, and say, hey, you know what? If you're being called, you're being called. It doesn't matter what age you are. And, you know, here's my story and here's what happened to me and look where I'm at right now. You know, it's, it's yeah, challenging, but it's totally worth it. And um, it's a life of great joy and consolation. Um, yes, but there's also this, there's also desolation and, and moments of sadness and grief, but those far outweigh the, the call uh, that God has, has, has given me. And so, you know, that sustains me uh, in those moments of, of darkness along the way. Sure. I did just want to ask one last question before we, we move to our yeah. final segment, our rapid fire sure. question. You yeah. have mentioned a couple of times kind of watching uh, you know, the entertainment industry over the past like 20 years. So when you were mm. acting, again, mentioning some of the, the stereotypes that were there and questions of representation and doing some of this yeah. work in a specifically Asian American theater, there's been all these conversations over the past, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm sure since you joined the Jesuits about representation, uh, about uh, do we just kind of end up you know, promoting stereotypes in in right. what we do, like how how important it is to have diverse representation um, in the media we take in. So, what has been your your take on kind of watching all this unfold as someone who was in it, like before a lot of these conversations were yeah. happening, maybe at the beginning of them, but now kind of having seen the way things have changed over the past couple of decades. Uh, one word, <laughs> finally. You know, mm. uh, I'm actually very encouraged by what's been going on in Hollywood and with in terms of representation, not only of Asian American actors, but, uh, uh, you know, other people of color, too, um, that there's this uh, awareness now, a greater awareness, I should say. The awareness has always been there, but the the um, uh, what's the word, the level of risk that is being that, that, that Hollywood is willing to take has has, you know, has increased, not, yeah, has increased. They're willing to risk now. And I think, I think, especially for Asian Americans, you know, the success of Crazy Rich Asians a couple of years ago uh, was a, a big selling point. The success of some of these other um, uh, platforms, online streaming platforms that are risking uh, putting unknown actors, especially actors of color, on these shows and being successful in it uh, is proving to mainstream Hollywood that, hey, there's something here. Something that we've all been sort of saying, yeah, hello, take a look at us too, you know? But they just weren't willing to because the box office, you know, would not support it at the time, they thought. So now that there's proof that yes, box office will support it, then let's move forward with this, right? And so, so I, I'm very um, encouraged by, by this. Even with the recent Golden Globe nominations, right? Women of color directors, uh, director, women directors of color. Um, um, Asian Americans being nominated as well. Uh, and so, you know, I'm very encouraged by this. And, and like I said, finally, it's happening. Um, is there a part of me that feels like, you know, uh, like I'm missing out? Eh, a little bit. But like I said, you know, I've come to accept that my vocation is to this world, to this, to this, to the society of Jesus. And, um, you know, shoot, if something comes up, if my old manager or agent calls me and says, hey, this came up. I know you're not acting anymore, but would you do this? I'm like, I would be, I would be open to it for sure, uh, if something were to arise. But seeing how, seeing what you know, what's out there now, I think my time is up, uh, and I'm just grateful. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, again, fascinating to, to reflect on. Yeah. Especially, again, given your, your whole vocation story and, and transition, and but still being yeah. right there as you're, you know, right there as I'm talking to you now in, uh, in L.A. So uh, I want to, we've, this has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know you, but I want to go a little bit deeper into who is Father Radmar. So we're bringing back a segment we used to do, uh, we haven't done in a while. It's called 20 Questions. These are 20 rapid fire questions. I won't ask any follow up unless I decide to, but usually I don't. <laughs> no follow up. Uh, you just give me your first answer that pops into your head, uh, right. and uh, that'll be it. So are you ready for 20 questions? All right, let's do this. Okay, number one, what are you watching? Um, currently, oh my gosh, um, Hulu in and of itself. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, uh, it's a one shot deal, but, um, it's a great show by the way, in and of itself that kind of pops in my head right now. I did I, see I, that. I'm, I'm telling everybody about it. If you haven't seen it, Hulu in and of itself. No, I watched it. It is, it is unlike anything else. Number two, uh, yeah. what is the best gift you have ever received? Um, uh, notes of affirmation from uh, people that I worked with when I was in Boise, Idaho, uh, working in campus ministry and young adult ministry up there. Number three, your favorite saint? Well, Ignatius would be like the first person that comes to mind, but really St. Jude, my patron saint. Number four, your first job? <laughs> uh, Black-topping parking lots. Wow. Number five, <laughs> uh, two weeks in Paris or 10 minutes on the moon? 10 minutes on the moon, definitely. Number six, your least favorite chore? Mowing the lawn. Number seven, if you could uninvent one thing, what would it be? Ooh. Social media. Number eight, your favorite sound? Oh, um, uh, wind blowing, uh, like in the mountains. Number nine, your favorite hymn, like church hymn. Like traditional hymn or like, you know, Catholic? Any song, uh, church hymn song. um, uh, Well, Lent is coming up. Hosea. Come back to me with all your heart. Yeah. Number uh, number ten. Your favorite zoo animal. Giraffe. Number eleven. What superpower would you most want to have? Oh, does that be one? Can I do? Can I do two? I, this is your twenty questions. Okay. Okay. Um, invisibility and uh, telekinesis. <laughs> you're gonna be undefeated. You're gonna you're gonna take over the world with those two. Uh, <laughs> number number twelve. What's the best thing you cook? Uh, I'm more of a baker, actually, um, but I make a really mean sour cream lemon pound cake. Wow. Number 13, if you were the ruler of your own country, what would be the first law you would introduce? Um, provide provide health care for everybody. Number 14, what current or past music group would you most want to join? I don't think this is more of a group, really, but... Uh, 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 I don't know, do you know who the Rat Pack is? Like Frank Sinatra and those guys, Dean Martin? I want to be yes. part of them. I would love okay. to be part of them. <laughs> <laughs> Number 15, what is one thing you will never do again? Drive cross country. Number 16, you have the chance to meet Pope Francis one-on-one, but you only get one sentence. What do you say? You know, actually, I actually did meet him, uh, and I had 41 seconds with him. But if I just had one sentence now, I would say, um, thank you for setting a good example for us all. Number 17, what could you give a 45-minute presentation on with no preparation? Ignatian contemplation, praying with the imagination. Number 18, what's one thing you want to try you haven't gotten around to yet? Uh, Skydiving. Number 19, what dumb accomplishment are you most proud of? (laughs) Uh, Learning to make sourdough bread and and make my own sourdough starter, actually. (laughs) Number 20, what makes you feel alive? (laughs) 
Um, yeah, accompanying young adults uh, on retreats or spiritual direction. Yeah, working with young adults, young, young adults, like post-college young adults. Well, Father Radmar, you have made it through 20 questions and through Woo-hoo. this AMDG podcast interview. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Do I, for, do I get anything for this? Do I get anything for the 20, 20 um, questions? Uh, you, you answered them all correctly, 20 out of 20. So I'll give you a gold, <laughs> a gold star. You get, you get you get one gold star. Thank uh, you. Mike. It'll be in the mail, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but Father Radmar, I just wanted to thank you for the taking the time. Thank you for your ministry, sharing your story. Uh, just such a gift to the society and the church. So uh, yeah, all the best for you as you uh, continue you so in your in your ministry. And thank you, and I appreciate the work that you're doing with this podcast. And uh, yeah, all the best to you. God bless. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.